was a, an honor to be with you this, this morning. Um, and if you want to, just ahead of time, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and following. We're actually uh, going to be a little bit before we get, we get to that part uh, of, of our time together. And I'm trying to keep a good accurate eye on the, the clock. I want to make sure I get you out in time so you can eat. You need to keep up your strength, especially if you're going to snowshoe on Saturday. And that, that always takes a little bit of, of effort uh, to do. Some years ago at a conference, Stuart Briscoe and his wife Jill were sharing <clears throat> about their ministry at that time at the Elmbrook Church, uh, I think in the suburbs somewhere near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, as many churches do, as Grace does, and I know some of your churches uh, as well have community groups or small group studies, uh, they had uh, care groups, I think that was the name that they gave to them. And uh, as they started the season off, they went around the room in their group, uh, in their living room, and asked everybody who they were. And finally, there was one young, young lady uh, who hadn't spoken up yet, and it was her term. And they said, well, well, who are you? And she said, I am a disciple of Christ, cleverly disguised as a machinist. And uh, that, was, that was her introduction to the group. I'm a disciple of Christ, cleverly disguised as machinist. Martin Luther would have approved of her assessment of herself. Because that really is at the heart of his doctrine of vocation and of his belief in the priesthood of the believer. Uh, that young woman knew who she was and that her, voca her vocation was her calling to be a light in this dark and perverse world, as Paul puts it in Ephesians where she could shine as a light in heaven uh, to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what it's all about. So in my time with you this morning, I want to, I want to do two things. Briefly look at this doctrine of vocation. And I believe uh, there's a couple of folks coming in next week that are going to share how they use theirs um, as a testimony to the Lord's grace in their life. And then secondly, I want us to look at the priesthood of the believer. Real simply, vocation, uh, if memory serves me correctly, comes from a Latin word, which means calling. Calling. Uh, and what a calling really is this, is just learning to respond to God's call in every aspect of your life. That's really what it amounts to. Whether you're a student, you're a prof professor, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom or dad, a truck driver, a logger, a farmer, a rancher, a lawyer, a politician, what, whatever it might be, uh, that, that is what you do, that is part of who you are so that people can see Christ in you, the hope of glory. That really is, really is what it's all about. And Luther developed that idea out of Scripture when he began to realize that there really, there really is only one estate. So at the time, there, there were four views of what was called four estates. Uh, and with that, uh, there, here, here are the four. Not that you're going to be quizzed on them, but someday in church history you might. The church, or what is termed the spiritual estate, the state the household and the community, uh, the common order of Christian love, whereas you're on a day-to-day -day basis, whatever you're doing, you're, you're shopping, you're trading, you're working, you're walking, you're hiking, you're snowshoeing, whatever it is, that, that is the state that we find ourselves in. But what, what happened was it really narrowed down to two estates, a spiritual and eternal and a temporal and more of a material, if you will. And this, this, the spiritual estate, was that of the pope, the bishops, the priests, the monks, and the nuns. The temporary, or the state, um, which would cover all the rest, your livelihood, 
your work, just your being as a human being, your household, all those, those aspects. And so these two are somewhat held in tension. Here, here is the more glorious, the spiritual, if you will, and on the other hand, the less spiritual, the secular, is what would come out of this. Uh, in that, it really just developed into two estates, the spiritual and the temporal, or the spiritual and the secular. And with that, the church espoused that it is over both the spiritual and the temporary because as in the office of Peter, the Pope was given both keys of the kingdom, both for the kingdom of heaven, but also the kingdom here on earth. And out of that, they erected three walls. And uh, the reason for the three walls was for the protection of the papacy. And here are the three walls. Again, I'll just give them to you very quickly. The first wall is that the temporary has no jurisdiction over the spiritual. On the contrary, the spiritual is over the temporary. So in other words, there, there is only one authority here on earth, and that is the representative crisis understood by the Catholic Church to be the Pope. By the way, that has not changed, okay? It's been modified, but it has not changed. The second wall, if you propose to admonish them with Scripture, the Church objects, for no one but the Pope can interpret Scripture. And the third wall simply was this, if threatened with a council, they say, that is the Pope and the priest, no one may call a council but the Pope. So what they have done, if there is problems in the church, the church took away whatever avenue was at the disposal of anyone else to try to bring it into line or to correct it. So in response to this, Luther wrote one of his great treatises, which is entitled this. It's kind of a long title, but it's well worth noting. The Address to the Christian Nobility of the German Nation Regarding the Reformation of the Christian Estate. Okay. Basically what it was, his taking the church on and answering how we tear down these three walls. And his answer to that was what we call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. And really what that term simply means this, the priesthood which belongs to those who through faith have been united with Christ. And he based this on a number of passages, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Hebrews 13, 1 Corinthians 12. Revelation 5.9, in the passage we're going to look at this morning in 1 Peter, the latter part of chapter 1, and then also in chapter, the early part of chapter 2. And as he studied those, as he looked at those passages, he began to realize that we all, we all are priests. Now, we may have different functions or different offices or different occupations, but we all are priests before our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he received it primarily from those passages. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, 15 through uh, chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to read this. It's kind of long, but I think it's important because it encapsulates what Danny just referred to regarding the gospel, who this is written to. This is not written to everybody. This is written to believers. Okay, It's not, not for those who don't know Christ, but for those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so having talked about the salvation that, that even the prophets and others long to look into, he says this beginning in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible or perishable things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Peter here, as he's writing um, to those Jews who are dispersed, and obviously those Gentiles who were part of them, he's saying, listen, you, you conducted yourselves through the things of the Father, by the laws, the feasts, the festivals, all their traditions, but those apart from, those things by themselves cannot redeem you. You are redeemed by only one thing, and that is by the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot. He indeed, this Christ was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him, you, that's the who, through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, verse 22 sounds like we're saying you're saved by your works, by being obedient. But notice verse 23, having been born again, perfect tense here. Having been born again, right, makes possible your obedience, okay? Such your obedience that saves you, your salvation makes it possible for you now to obey God with the right heart. Not, not out of works, not of, I'm bringing this dead sacrifice, I'm observing this feast, I'm doing this duty, I'm showing up on Saturday, I'm showing up Sunday morning, I'm reading my Bible, you know, it's good to see you here in the morning as you're reading and doing your quiet times. But because I've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. See, the, the bad news is that we're all sinners separated from God, right? And a penalty of that is death. But the good news is God sent his son, the perfect lamb of God, to die for us in our place and redeem us, right, from our sin, from the penalty of the law, which shows us our sinfulness, so that now we can walk in obedience, not to earn, but because we've been enabled to be what God always intended us to be. He's actually the first one to say that, be all you can be, be on my team, not the army, but argument for another day. So what does he say here? Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because it's written, all flesh is grass, all the glory of man is the flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This good news. Therefore, lay aside all malice, Guile, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking as newborn babes, as new creatures in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have, have you tasted that he is gracious? Because if you have, then this exhortation is for you. If you haven't, you're still, you're still stuck in darkness. Okay? Got to get to first base before you can make it home. First base is coming to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so he says this, coming to him. That is to Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe... He is precious. Notice how many times, four times in just a short uh, span of verses, Peter's referred to what is precious. 
He is what is precious, right? But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. They were given the word. The Jewish people were given the word of God to point them to the Savior so that they would see, as Paul says in Galatians, as, as a tutor, as a pedagogos, a, a, a discipler to show them their need for a Savior. And yet when he came, they rejected him. And people still do that today. We will not have this man to rule over us, they will say. And so they, be, they stumble, being disobedient. But notice verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that's what you get to do every day. If you work as a barista, you work at Kohl's or Macy's, you work at a gas station, wherever it is you work, every day you get to proclaim this, that he's taking you out of the kingdom of darkness, as Paul says in Colossians 1, I think it's verse 13, 14, and 15, and delivered you or transferred you into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's what he's done for us. Here's, so here's Peter's way of saying it. You who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So what does he say here? Well, here's the list. You are living stones. You're a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood. You are a hagias or hagiaso. You're separated. You're distinct. You're different. Because of what he's done. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood. A royal priesthood. Okay? A holy nation. Here's our word for ethnos. So out of the nations, he has made a nation of priests before, before him. A people for God's own possession that he called out of darkness into light. Got, they have a couple of slides we're going to show you here real quickly. Just, just think through with me here. Here's the contrast of the Old Testament system, the priesthood, if you will, that everyone, even the priests, as Paul says in Hebrews, had to offer up for himself. And then for us, if we were living at that time, would bring a sacrifice to have it sacrificed on our behalf. He worked as a mediator for us. Okay? And we know from our passage today, we have a high priest. We have a mediator, the only one we need, and then the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the function Notice the second, the class of men chosen by God and only they could serve. Right? Do you, you understand where the church got that idea? It's all Old Testament based. It's taking the Old Testament into the New Testament and forcing it on the New Testament. Here's how the ministry should look. There's only a certain group of people who can do this, and we work on your behalf. Oh, Mary and the saints and everybody else does too. On your behalf... Because you can't go to God without us. And that is the good news that we have to share, though. I should say the good news we have to share is you can go to Jesus because Jesus died for you and you and you and you and you and me. Right? That's what he did. I don't need a priest. I don't, I don't need a pastor as fine as they can be. And frankly, I don't need you either. You don't need me. We can go to the throne of grace. Okay? And so we see the contrast here. It was a temporal 
They had a house. It was built of dead stones. People had to go through. They offered up material sacrifice, offered up bulls and goats and lambs, heifers, right? Over here, we have a mediator once and for all. We have a forever high priest, a once and for all sacrifice. Once and for all, not day after day, mass after mass, a re-sacrificing of the Son of God. Once and for all, it's done. So when we come to the table, we remember what he did. We celebrate. We, we think soberly about what he did on our behalf. But we don't offer him up against because he made atonement once and for all for us. So we are chosen by God, all people, this holy nation, our priests forever, living stones, a spiritual house, a holy nation that is set apart, sanctified, as he said in Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. He sanctified once and for all those who are being sanctified. So you're in that sanctification process, positionally and practically, where we are. God's own possession, and so what do we do as Paul said in Romans 12, we offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice to live for him in our daily life wherever we are. As a husband, a father, a mother, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a cousin, co-worker, employer, employee, whatever it is, wherever we are, that's what we are. All these things right here. That young gal in Wisconsin just simply said, I'm, I'm a disciple of Christ. You could just say it that simply. But this is what it entails, beloved. This is who you and I are. This is what we're meant to live out, to offer up to him those spiritual sacrifices day in and day out. And what is the result of that? As he's going to pick up in verse 11 and following, godly living. Godly living, wherever and whenever. To submit. And notice as he says this, he's saying this to believers. Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Right? Whether the king is the supreme, to governors, etc., etc. So then, you see how, how Luther can tear down the walls here? Therefore, if we're all priests, the Pope, yes, there should be respect. I mean, obviously, you, you would respect Pastor Brian or, or Pastor Jim or Pastor Arlen, whoever your pastor might be. You respect them. But hey, before God, he's not in the front row and you're not way in the back. Okay? You're, you have equal footing at the cross with any man, woman, or child. We all do. And so in light of that, he is not special. He is not above obeying the laws of the land. He can't just blow through a red light, like some like to do down here. By the way, the red light means you're supposed to stop before you turn right, okay? Not, not, not that I'll call anybody out this morning, but some of you may just need to remember that, right? So even if the Pope or I or you blow through the red light, we can't, we can't say... You can't do that to me. And so if I teach false doctrine, I can't say to you, I can't say to the elders of this church, who are you to talk to me? You, you can't do that. We can. Because we're fellow priests before the living holy God. And so once you tear down the first wall, the second and the third wall will crumble also. Because it's Scripture that tells us this is who we are. Not the Pope, not the church. Scripture tells us this is who we are. And all of us 
every man, woman, and child must be subject to the authorities that are over us unless they go contrary to the word of God. What God has already revealed to us. And so Luther could say this at the end of speaking about the first wall. It follows then that between laymen and priests, princes and bishops, or as they call it, between spiritual and temporal persons, the only real difference is one of office and function and not of a state. For they are all of the same spiritual state, true priests. And that's what I submit to you. You are a true priest before the living holy God. Now the question is, do we act like it? Do we live it out? Would, would people see that? Would they hear that from us when we talk to them? I mean, as Jacob asks us for prayer, so he has an opportunity to say, well, what's the dino got to do with that? It, that, that, is, that is a stepping stone. It's like hiking up the M, one step at a time. That, that opens the door, <clears throat> pardon me, for other conversations. Well, why do you believe that? Because, you know, most of the scientific you know, community doesn't, doesn't agree with that. Say, so I believe it because it's the word of God. This, this God that people say, that I, say I feel so, so close to him in creation. And I've said this to friends of mine who believe in evolution. I say, I, I hear you say that, but... He didn't create it. He just started and let it go. How do you feel, how, how do you feel close to your personal force? But it opens the door for conversation, right? I had some old cowboy friends over in the Wilsall area. I just feel much closer to God on the horseback. I said, that's great. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? But how much closer you feel to God if you actually corporately worship with God's people and you knew him personally as your Lord and Savior? Like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, it's Jesus stuff again. I say, yeah, it's about Jesus. It is. It really is about Jesus. And so, so we go, and so we pray for him. In his essay, The Christian Ministry, J.B. Lightfoot said this. <clears throat> individuals, <clears throat> as, individ <clears throat> excuse me, as individuals, all Christians are priests alike. There is, there, uh, there is an entire silence about priestly functions for the most exalted office in the church. The highest gift of the Spirit conveyed no sacerdotal rite that was not enjoyed by the humblest member of the Christian community. He went on to say this, Above all, it has, above all, it has no sacerdotal, that is, priestly office system. It enters opposes no sacrificial tribe or class between God and man. But whose intervention alone God is reconciled and man is forgiven. Each individual member holds personal communion with the divine head. To him immediately he or she is responsible and from him directly he or she obtains pardon and draws strength. That's why that young woman in Wisconsin could say, I am a disciple of Christ cleverly disguised as a machinist. She didn't need to hear that from a pastor or a priest, an elder, a deacon, church leader, although that may help. She can draw from Scripture. This is who God has called his saints, you and I, to be. This is what he says we are and what we're to offer up to him out of a grateful heart, out of a heart that's been changed by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we function as a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation, the chosen people of God, people who are far off but who have been brought near, people who are in darkness who have been now brought into light. And that is what we have to offer to this dark and perverse world. Light at the end of the tunnel, the true light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you in the name of the precious Lamb of God. He is precious. We think of those <clears throat> Lord of the Ring movies and how Gollum was controlled by his precious. How it, day and night, in his case, tormented him until he could hold it and stroke it. And yet in the midst of it, it just overwhelmed him and not in a good sense. But unlike that precious, we have the precious Lamb of God. Your one-of-a-kind, unique, monogene son whom you sent to a world that he helped create, helped give breath and life into the first man and woman, <clears throat> the one who, by the providential cares you have given and granted to him, keeps all the atoms doing what they're supposed to do so that our universe and our world does not fall apart until you say it is time. That you would know us, love us from eternity past, and that you would send that precious one to die for us on our behalf. So as we live in a sin-cursed, sin-sick world where there is death, and there is slavery, and there's brutality, and there's injustice, and there's hatred, and there's devastation, as we've witnessed in these last weeks. In the midst of it, there is a light. There is a hope, even when we can't understand everything. And that light and hope is found in Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we go, may we be reminded, whatever we do, as Paul said in Colossians 3, do all to the glory of God. And as he reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, even in the most mundane things, do it to the glory of God. Because you've all called us to this priesthood so that we might point others to your Savior and ours, your son, our elder brother, so that they too might come to know him and be led out of darkness into light. Father, we pray for Jacob and his family. We thank you for where you have him. Personally, I am sure we, none of us would wish upon him what is happening. And yet you've allowed it for a reason. We would pray for only a season, whatever your will would be. But in the midst of it, give him strength, give him clarity of thought, give him clarity of speech. And as he has prayed, give him the desire of his heart that the conversations he's had would prompt others so that he might shine bright before those who hear him and see him that he is walking with you each day. And Father, my other prayer would be that each of us today here would be like that as well. Whatever you are taking us through, whatever you might be leading us to go through in the near future or farther down the road, May we see it as an opportunity to be that light to whatever you've called us. We ask this for your glory, the glory of the Son, the good of your church, and for the salvation of those who have yet to claim him as Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.